and good morning and happy new year. Welcome to the Plant Doctor Show. Well, the holidays are through and they're in the past now. And now we start that long haul through winter, waiting for spring to come. And, you know, winters can be long and cold. Huh? This one here, long, yeah, not so cold. But uh, I figured we could start talking about a few projects today, you know, to keep ourselves, you know, busy and, you know, our house is green, stuff like that. But as always, if you have a question about, you know, anything that's green and growing, go ahead and give me a call or shoot me a text. Number down here at Wisdom is 608-785-7914. Now, uh, the first thing I did want to talk about today, though, is it's, you know, like I said, it's time to take down all those decorations and uh, get the ornaments off the real Christmas trees. And we're going to be dragging those things out that brought us so much beauty and joy into our homes out to the curb to be picked up by the garbage man. It's not a real nice fitting end for something that's brought us so much joy, eh? But there are some other uses that we can uh, do with the Christmas trees other than, you know, giving them the deep six. So, you know, one of them is, and this is very handy, and I found this out. It's amazing how little it takes, too. Uh, you know, before you bring a tree indoors, you uh, go ahead and you prune off the bottom branches so it can fit into the uh, Christmas tree stand. And one year I did that, and I left them sitting off uh, the side of the patio. There was no snow on the ground yet. Actually, we barely even had a frost at that point. And, uh, you know, while the trees were up, you know, before I had a chance to clean up stuff out uh, off the patio, it snowed. So the branches that I pruned off were buried underneath the snow. Well, springtime comes along and you know all the snow melts and i noticed that the branches are glued to the ground with a sheet of ice underneath it and they weren't really laying that thick i mean there was maybe you know one layer of branches maybe two at most uh laying on top of the ground and that's all it took to create a thermal blanket on the ground and where the rest of my lawn thawed out to the point of where you could stick a shovel into the ground, it still had ice underneath those pine branches. So uh, ever since then, I'm like, if you need to, uh, you know, put a good mulch around a new plant or something like that, something that you uh, popped in in the fall, be it a tree or, you know, a shrub or what have you, trim those Christmas tree branches off and use them. Uh, it makes an excellent uh, thermal blanket. And it'll stop any of the freezing and thawing, freezing and thawing. Granted, it'll take a little bit longer for that ground right underneath the tree to uh, thaw out. But, um, you know, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. And another really good use for uh, Christmas trees, and this is if you are or you happen to know a fisherman, is to collect them. And make a pile of them out on the ice someplace. Uh, now, you can't just do this anywhere, and you don't want to do it if it's out in the river either. Uh, but if you got, you know, like a backwater area, you know, it's got a, it's barren, you know, mostly sand or silt for a bottom, and the water is about 15 to 20 feet deep, 
You make a pile of them on top of the ice, and you tie them together using a nylon rope. And you weight them down with a couple of cinder blocks. And uh, when the ice melts, the trees will fall through, and almost immediately, that artificial reef that you just, uh, you know, uh, made is going to start attracting bait fish, which will in turn attract the game fish. So it is a wonderful way of, uh, you know, utilizing the tree for, you know, something positive in the uh, future. Now, you do want to check your local municipality laws and stuff like that. I don't know if there's any laws against doing this out on, uh, like, like on Alaska or, you know, any of those sloughs back in that area. But, uh, you know, find out, at, or if you have your own private, uh, you know, waterway, go ahead and uh, give it a shot. And it does work. It works very well. It makes for great crappy fishing, by the way. Uh, the one thing that you don't want to do with uh, your leftover uh Christmas trees is cut them up and burn them in a fireplace or a wood stove. Uh, even though it creates a nice crackling fire and hot fire to boot, uh, when you burn pine, it creates creosote. Uh, creosote, if you don't know, that's the stuff that they used to put on telephone poles, that black tarry substance. Uh, it's uh, extremely flammable. And when you just need to get it up to the uh, correct heat uh, for it to uh, flame up. Now, the reason why you don't want to do this in a fireplace or a wood stove is because that creosote is going to build up inside your chimney. And it could be a a good uh, start for a chimney fire for you. So never, ever burn pine, spruce, or fir trees in your uh, fireplace or your wood stove. Uh, now, if you want to uh, cut them up and use them for a campfire or a burning pit, you know, outdoors, hey, go for it. Uh, they make a great, uh, you know, uh, fire out, you know, in that respect. And that brings up another way of dealing with them, and this is one of my favorites. And But first, you need to check uh, again with the local laws. And if you have an area to do this, uh, you know, talk to your friends. Uh, have them bring their trees out to your place. And uh, I used to do this out in the middle of a lake. Uh, and my friends would uh, also start, you know, bringing their trees out and collecting trees from around the neighborhood. And uh, we used to get a giant pile of Christmas trees, and we did this out on the ice. But if you got a farm field, too, you know, nothing wrong with doing it out there as long as, you know, you're careful and it's not going to catch fire to anything else. But you create a big pile of them. And then on a given night, you have everybody come over for drinks. And uh, you sit back and have a nice bonfire. Now, the initial burning when you light up these trees is amazing. Uh, Remember when I said uh, creosote's uh, flammable? Well, that basically makes the entire pine tree flammable. Almost explosive. Uh, when they're green, a little bit less so, but that creosote doesn't go away when they, uh, turn brown. It stays on the inside of the, uh, needles and the, you know, the branches. So, uh, 
Uh, the only thing having a brown tree, you know, a dried up tree, uh, it will ignite faster. Uh, not saying that a green tree will not ignite because they will, but just one Christmas tree burning is extremely impressive. Imagine what a pile of a couple of hundred of them would be like. And it makes for a really nice time. And like I said, uh, we do it out in the ice. Uh, you know, everybody goes out with their ice skates and they're ice skating around the uh, pile. Uh, I know one year we couldn't skate but because there was snow on top of the ice. But uh, that fire got so hot and intense that like the area almost to 100 feet out from uh, the pile, uh, the snow melted and that n- night it refroze and made for a nice place for everybody to go ice skating again until we had another snow that covered it up. But that's a real fun way of, you know, uh, getting rid of your trees. And you're not littering or anything like that. And if anybody thinks that, you know, you're adding pollution to the atmosphere or raising your carbon footprint, it's not so. When you burn a tree, all you, that happens when you burn something is, is oxidizes faster. Everything oxidizes and sends its elements back up into the atmosphere. So whether you're talking about it slowly rotting away or having it happen quickly uh, with burning, uh, still going to release the same amount of uh, you know uh, ingredients up into the atmosphere. So it's going to happen anyhow. You might as well have some fun with it, eh? But there are a couple other uh, things that we could do, and we'll talk about them when we come back. But we're going to have to take a short break here and take care of a little bit of business. But we'll be back here at 1410 WYZM, The Plant Doctor Show. If you've got a question about anything that's green or growing, please go ahead and give me a call or shoot me a text. Number down here at Wisdom is 608-785-7914, and we will be right back. And we are back down here at uh, WIZM, The Plant Doctor Show. Uh, and I'm here to answer your questions. If you happen to get a, uh, you know, a plant for Christmas and not sure how to take care of it, or, uh, you know, maybe some of your house plants, you know, people coming in and out of your house and your door was open and shutting quite a bit, caused a draft and it made one of your plants sick and uh, you want to get it fixed and brought back to health. Or maybe you're even thinking ahead to the springtime and doing some gardening. Whatever the question is, as long as it's about something green and growing, go ahead and give me a call. Number down here at Wisdom is 608-785-7914. And that's the uh, talk and text line, too, so you can go ahead and shoot me a text. But, okay, back to talking about the Christmas trees. Now, if uh, you don't want to burn them and... uh, but uh, you still want to uh, make a you know good use of them. You can go ahead, and this is really cool if you're a nature lover or even a hunter. Uh, make a pile of Christmas trees, uh, and you want to do this away from your house and any uh, shrubs that you might have because it will attract rabbits and other small critters too for that matter. It'll attract mice, voles, um, you name it, any small critters will go to that for a source of shelter. And, you know, it doesn't take long at all. Uh, I've seen rabbits starting to utilize, uh, 
know, uh, these uh, piles of uh, Christmas trees within a couple of weeks, and they'll start nesting on the inside. And you know, that way there, you can bird dog it with uh, just a big rock, or you can send the kids in and, you know, have them jump around side or on top of the pile, chase the rabbits out, and you can sing kill the wabbit when you're out there uh, getting some pfeffer for dinner. And speaking of cover, you know, for some reason, especially in these uh, new developments, and I could never understand why they do this, uh, when they make these new developments, the first thing that they do is bulldoze down all the trees and bushes. And granted, okay, yeah, it makes for a nice, clean neighborhood, but it's barren. You know, you pop in lawns or sod or what have you, but there's no trees or shrubs. You know, sometimes they'll go ahead and plant some, you know, little uh, cursory trees that are treated really roughly. And the people planting them are the construction crews, and they have no idea what in the hell they're doing. So uh, a lot of times those trees don't even live. But there's no cover for birds or wildlife at all there. So... And if you're trying to attract birds to your house, so, you know, maybe you got a bird feeder for, uh, you know, uh, Christmas, and you put it out there, you get some good bird seeds, stick it in there, and no birds come. More than likely, it's because there's no cover nearby. Uh, birds will not go to an area to eat if they cannot quickly escape into an area of cover. And uh, especially since, uh, you know, uh, lacrosse released uh, those uh, peregrine falcons a few years back uh, because uh, peregrine falcons will stake out a uh, bird feeder. And right now I've got one doing it uh, outside my place. Uh, one took one yesterday and I didn't see it happen, but all of a sudden this cloud of feathers came snowing down out of the sky while I was standing out on my back deck. I'm like, Oh, there went another bird. But, uh, yeah, uh, the birds need to have cover so they can, you know, uh, go quickly from their place of eating to a place to hide. And by taking a Christmas tree outside, and it doesn't have to be standing up either, though it does look better standing up. It could be laying over on its side or on an angle. Uh, the birds don't care. But uh, I found the best way of making them stand up, and you won't be able to do this yet, but maybe... You know, after the snow on uh, Monday, uh, you make a pile of snow and you take the tree and you stick it into that snow pile. Then you pour some water around it. And, uh, at you know, with the temperatures below freezing, that water will turn to ice. And it'll hold that tree in place until we have a thaw. And, you know, by then, hopefully spring comes around and you can go ahead and plant a real tree out there. And, uh, you know, it'll make for uh, some, you know, good natural cover for them. And, oh. <clears throat> Another thing, too, that will attract birds uh, this time of the year. And uh, Terry's one that uh, got this idea. You know, every year, you know, we pick up our uh, lawn furniture and we'll stack them up. We've got, like, a uh, stackable uh, benches. And we also have this glider. And Terry went ahead and took this tarp, one of uh, the tarps that we had, and covered over the glider, you know, just to keep the snow off of it, it and the cushions. 
And amazingly enough, the birds started using that for cover during the uh, snow. And it it was something to see. Uh, underneath this glider that we had uh, sitting outside on our patio uh, during a snowstorm, there'd be 50, 60 birds underneath that thing. And you couldn't see them until you went outside, and they all started flying out from underneath it. It was really neat. Uh, it got to the point where we started throwing bird seed underneath it, too, and, you know, let the birds have a snack while they were, you know, down there hiding from the weather. But uh, that's another good way of, you know, attracting the birds. So you don't need a tree necessarily to do it. Uh, you can do it with your, uh, you know, lawn furniture and, you know, just give it, uh, you know, like I said, a yeah, tarp or something over the top. But another thing that will attract birds, too, that's not covered during the winter time and hasn't been so much an issue as of late, but now it's starting to become an issue because everything's freezing up. Birds don't have any water sources out there. And if you get a uh, uh, water trough heater, uh, you can pick them up very cheap over at, like, Farm and Fleet. And... Uh, you know, just run an extension cord out there and pop it in a bird bath. That way there, the bird bath will remain, you know, uh, thawed out, even if it drops down to below zero. Uh, the birds will have a constant supply of water. And it's kind of funny because you'll see, uh, you know, birds taking a bath in the middle of the winter, you know, below zero, and they're out there splashing around in the water having a good old time. But if you can give them a supply of water, that is something that is a rarity to them come the middle of the winter. And that will attract birds in like a magnet. That one I can guarantee. And that reminds me that I have to go out and get a new heater for our bird bath because ours finally crapped out last year. Uh, that means that we are in time now to go ahead and do our uh, news break, but we'll be right back here at 1410 WYZM, the Plant Doctor Show, in just a couple of minutes. Give me a call. Number down here at Wisdom is 608-785-7914. And we are back with the Plant Doctor Show. And if you have a question about anything that's green or growing, please go ahead and give me a call. Shoot me a text. Number down here at Wisdom is 608-785-7914. Now, nothing can break up the gloom of winter like a beautifully blooming houseplant. Uh, and there's, when you're talking about, you know, flowers blooming in the middle of the winter, even houseplants, uh, the selection goes down drastically uh, because most plants don't like to bloom in, you know, the shorter days. But there's one that doesn't give a darn about it. And that's probably why it makes the amaryllis uh, a very, very popular Christmas gift. Uh, you can give somebody a, a, one of these that's already, you know, growing in bloom. Or you could buy the kits which contain the bulb and, uh, you know, generally a pot to put it in and the directions on how to grow them. Uh, but they make... You know, beautiful, I mean, blooms up to six inches. Uh, and they're bright, showy flowers, uh, and they can be grown in the home. Uh, and like I said, they make an outstanding Christmas gift, and that's why a lot of people get them. But most people don't realize how to uh, 
you know, grow them properly. So I figured we could talk about that today. And if we have time, we'll touch on a couple other plants too. But amaryllis plants come in many beautiful colors, uh, basically ranging from shades of red, white, pink, salmon, and orange. But there's some bicolored varieties too, uh, combining, you know, shades of pink and red or uh, red with white. Uh, they're just beautiful flowers. And the amaryllis is a tender bulb uh, that originated in the Andes of South America. But unfortunately, it's not going to grow in this area, uh, outdoors at least. You can't grow it as a uh, regular bulb. So it's got to be done as, uh, you know, a potted plant. Uh, if you live down south, you know, areas 9 through 11, uh, those zones you can go ahead and uh, pop, you know, move one outside. But if you bring it out uh, doors uh, during the uh, season, you've got to bring it back in by uh, September. Now, growing uh, pre-potted or pre-planted amaryllis, uh, they can, like I said, they can be purchased individually uh, packaged or in bulk bulbs. Uh, but a lot of times they are pre-potted already for you. And these pre-potted amaryllis uh, things are what's usually given as a Christmas gift. And to get them to start growing, it takes no more than an effort than treating them like a normal house plant. You start watering them, keep them in room temperature. Uh, when you do water, you want to water the soil and not get water on the bulb. Uh, if you do get uh, water on the bulb, you know, try to blot it off with a uh, napkin or a paper towel or something. Because if you get it wet, it can uh, start to rot on you. Because part of that bulb is going to be, unlike, uh, you know, like tulips or daffodils or crocuses where you bury the entire bulb, it's best to have the top of the amaryllis bulb sticking up about three quarters of an inch out of the soil. And uh, you don't want the water to get up get on that and, you know, starting it to rot. And the same goes with the uh, soil as well. You want to keep it medium moist, but you definitely don't want to overwater it. Now, the plant should be kept in a brightly lit area, but it, you know, brightly lit doesn't necessarily mean uh, direct sunlight. It could, as long as you've got a brightly lit room with natural light, it should do fine. So that's another reason why it makes it a wonderful plant to give to people because uh, a lot of people don't have a nice, bright, sunny spot to put the plant. Now, you can keep an amaryllis in uh, full-blown sunlight, but doing that will also make its uh, flower length uh, shorten uh, substantially uh, because the sunlight will, uh, you know, eat away at the uh, blooms. So keeping it in a brightly lit area is better. And temperature-wise, it's perfect for where we keep our thermostats during the winter, between 70 and 75 degrees. Uh, granted, most people don't keep their thermostats at 75, though I do know a couple of people that do that. Uh, but, uh, you know, between 7 and 75 degrees, that's a comfortable uh, living condition type uh, climate. So they'll grow right out in your living room. Now, after the plant, this is one of the uh, 
bulbs that goes against the normal rules for bulbs. Usually when you have a bulb, you don't feed it right away. Uh, but after the plant begins to grow, feeding is essential. And you're going to want to use a good, complete, slow-release fertilizer, which lasts a couple of months. And that way there you can uh, give it a feeding at that point and you know, basically forget about it for a couple of months. Or you can use a water-soluble fertilizer and fertilize it about twice a month. And when I say water-soluble, I mean like miracle Grow or Peters or Schultz, something along those lines. But if you want to use a slow-release fertilizer like an Osmocote uh, or there's many other brands out there, those are those little bead-type uh, fertilizers. They're usually sold in like a clear plastic jug. Uh, just, you know, once every couple of months will work. Now, like I said uh, before, once the plant is flowering, you want to keep it out of the direct sunlight. And maybe even slightly cooler temps, too. You don't want to get it up to uh, mid to uh, upper 70s because that's going to uh, definitely you know, kick back on longevity of the bloom. Now, after all the flowers fade, and this is a cool thing that you can uh, do with amaryllis bulbs. After the flowers fade, cut them uh, off at the, uh, uh, where the stalk meets a uh, bulb. Uh or I'm sorry, uh, right below the flower, the bloom on the stalk. And when the stalk begins to sag, carefully cut that off right above the uh, bulb nose. And you continue to water and fertilize as normal until the leaves begin to turn yellow. And at this time, you go ahead and you cut the leaves back to about two inches from the top of the bulb, and you want to remove the bulb from the pot. And uh, carefully dust off any soil that may uh, be remaining on it. And I like to use uh, like an uh, an old uh, soft paintbrush, uh, you know, like a one-inch paintbrush and like a trim-type uh, brush to uh, do this with. Uh, because soil will hold moisture. And if uh, that even, you know, will draw in the humidity from the air, it could make that uh, one spot get know uh, wet and like i said before it can start the rot uh so you want to try to get as much of that soil off as possible without harming the bulb uh so don't go nuts because that'll cause more damage but you know try to get as much off as uh, you can and uh, keep the bulb in a cool dry area dark as well for about six to eight weeks and any time after that, you can repot that bulb and begin the process all over again. But uh, plants, uh, uh, you want to plant them about eight weeks before you want them to bloom. Uh, that's the only kicker. Uh, they do take a while. It's not like, you know, forcing some other bulbs where they pop up and start throwing out flowers immediately. This one takes a couple of months for it to happen, but it is very rewarding. Now, if you have multiple bulbs, what you can do, and this is neat if you have a larger pot, uh, you can plant them in intervals. So, uh, and you could do your blooming times, uh, you know, space them apart. Uh, so you could have blooms from September through February, 
uh, if you wish, or, you know, even May if you wanted to, uh, you know, if you have a big enough pot. And by, you know, like I said, by doing that, you just keep, you know, adding to them. You take this one bulb out after it gets done and why the other bulb is blooming, allow that one the rest period, and then you go ahead and replant it, and the whole process starts over again. Now, when you do plant them, uh, you want to use a sterile, uh, a decent, well-drained potting soil. Uh, you don't want to use a, a heavy clay soil because, again, you don't want it to hold uh, moisture for too long. Uh, and always make sure that your pot has adequate drainage holes. You don't want to stick them just into a, you know, a plastic pot without any uh, drainage holes in the bottom. Uh, that will be a recipe for disaster. You'll probably get the bulb to, uh, bloom once, but I can almost guarantee you that rot will start in from the bottom and work its way up then. Now, like I said, you want to plant the bulb with about one-third of it being above the rim of the pot. And you want to press uh, the soil down firmly to keep the uh, bulb, you know, securely in place. And, you know, just give it a good thorough watering and your plant will begin to grow. And uh, propagating uh, amaryllis bulbs, uh, they will create bulblets. And these bulblets uh, may be attached... Uh, to the mother bulb and repot it again so you can get a almost like a bushy appearance uh or you can carefully remove them from the bulb and start them on their own now word of warning if you do start these on their own it will take two years of growing before they'll start uh producing blooms a lot of times, though, if you leave them attached to the uh, mother bulb, it will pull resources from the mother bulb, and it will be able to uh, bloom a lot sooner. And uh, you know, they, a beautiful, beautiful flower. If you've never tried growing in amaryllis, and you know you're out shopping, and a lot of the uh, box stores have them, uh, they were selling them as Christmas gifts, and right now they put them on. Uh, clearance because they you know want to get them out of the way for other things and you know you can get a really good buy on them and like i said they're beautiful especially if you do like a multi-bulb presentation and you do you know uh, multiple colors uh or you stagger them out so uh, you know they're blooming you know over a period of time or you do both you know staggered out with multicolors but it makes for you know, a really good uh, display. And it's something fun and bright and showy during the winter. Uh, there's not that much out there that can do that, you know, that has the promise of doing it. Granted, some flowers like the hibiscus, hey, give a good year, you might get some beautiful blooms on them. Uh, I know my friend Jeff has one that uh, likes blooming during the winter. Uh Mother-in-law Claire had one that we gave to her a few years back, and that thing had more blooms during the winter, I think, than it did during the summertime. Uh, but you know, it all depends on you know uh, the given year and the exact care that it's uh, getting. But there's not that many flowers out there that have blooms during the winter, and let's face it, we can use some color. 
Okay, we're going to take a little short break here, and we will be right back in just a couple of minutes. If you've got a question about anything that's green or growing, please go ahead and give me a call. Shoot me a text. The number down here at Wisdom is 608-785-7914, and we'll be right back in just a couple of minutes. But uh, we've got a couple of minutes left to the show. If you have, have a question about anything that's green or growing, please go ahead and give me a call. Shoot me a text. The number down here at uh Wisdom is 608-785-7914. And let's see, it looks like we have uh, somebody sparky uh, texted in. My cyclamen uh, blooms all winter and uh, my violets also. Yes, that is very true. Uh, African violets uh, will bloom. And a cyclamen, uh, I didn't mention that because I didn't think we was going to have time for it today. Uh, but that is about... Let's see, Amaral poinsettia being number one. I would say Christmas cactus number two. Amaryllis comes in number three. But cyclamen is also a very, very popular uh, plant to give at Christmas. And, yes, they do bloom on and off throughout the winter. So yep, there's a couple more that uh, will keep on blooming. So uh, going back to the poinsettia, which is by far the most common plant given at Christmas time. You bring it over anytime from thanks, you know, bring it as a uh, gift to, uh, from Thanksgiving on. They're being sold in the stores. They make beautiful centerpieces uh, with their bright red leaves. And uh, well, depending on the, you know, uh, type, uh, some have pink leaves, some even have white. Uh, everybody thinks that the bloom to a uh, poinsettia is, uh, you know, that bright color that is so easily seen. That's not really true. That's a color change to the outer leaves, uh, which are called brocks, B-R-A-C-T-S. And uh, they will change uh, with a little bit of care, and uh, you can force them into changing uh, for a particular time of uh, the year, and most people like that being around Christmas. So... uh, but it, they're very, very popular, and you can grow them year-round as a houseplant. They make a beautiful houseplant. My mom had one for years and years. Uh, the thing took up most of the dining room table. Now, uh, poinsettias require medium to bright light, but never full sun. They will burn in full sun. Uh, they prefer to be kept a little bit on the cooler side, too. Uh, 65 to 70 during the day, and preferably going down to 55 to 60 at night. Uh, but you don't want it to go too much further south of uh, 50 degrees, uh, because if that happens, they're going to start to lose leaves. And a lot of people will keep their uh, poinsettias uh, in an area that has a cold or a warm draft. Uh, so you want to keep them away from heat sources as well because that will uh, make the leaves drop like a son of a gun too. <clears throat> now, poinsettias prefer moderately moist soil. So uh, as soon as that soil begins to feel dry to the touch, you want to add enough uh, water so the excess starts to drip out of the drain holes, but you don't want to allow the plant to sit in water. Now, for that reason... They usually, poinsettias usually require more water, more frequent waterings 
than other house plants because they have they're planted in a very very uh, how would you put it um, the potting mix has very little soil it's mostly peat generally and uh, it's nice light and airy and that way there it allows uh, you know it can hold a bit of moisture but it dries out quickly too so uh, you need to keep them uh, you know from staying very wet now, uh, when the plant is actively growing, and that's the key, not red or pink or white, but when it's actively growing, when it's pushing out new growth, you can uh, feed her uh, points that uh, about every two weeks with a good all-purpose uh, you know, fertilizer, uh, generally you know, liquid 10-10-10, uh, something in that uh, realm will do fine. Uh, or again, you can use the Osmocote pellets, and which gives you a slow-release uh, fertilizer that you know keeps it constantly fed. Now they are perennials, so like I said, you can keep them uh, growing from year to year. But uh, the point that is a short-day plant that blooms in reaction to the uh, natural shortening of the days in the fall. And like I said before, you can force that to happen. And that's how everybody gets these plants to bloom around Christmas time. Uh, you need to subject your plant to 14 hours of 100% total darkness a day. So 14 hours in a day, and that's about the same amount of time that we're up. Uh, you go ahead and... Uh, Keep it totally dark, and the best way to do this is by putting a box over the top of it. Uh, get a cardboard box, cover up any of the uh, seams or anything like that where light can uh, you know, creep through uh, with some black construction paper or another piece of cardboard. Just tape it on top of it, and uh, you need to do that for 14 hours a day. But the other 10 hours, it needs to be brought out in light. So the amount of time for uh, light is just as important as the amount of time in the dark. So you need to give it those uh, light hours as well, which is great because you can get in the habit of, you know, covering it up, uh, you know, in the evening uh, right before you go to bed. And when you wake up in the morning, you know, uh, and you get your day started, have your morning cup of coffee before you get your day going, go ahead and uncover it at that point. And that should be just about the right amount of light for it. Now, uh, the temperatures can go down uh, when you're doing this. You can bring temperatures down to no lower than 50 degrees. Uh, like I said, uh, after you get below 50, it's going to start dropping leaves. And that's something that you don't want to have happen. But, uh, yeah, they make a beautiful house plant. And... Uh, just really nice to have around all uh, season long. Uh, they do have a lot of latex in the sap, so if you happen to have a latex allergy, you're going to want to be careful with that, though. And, you know, maybe wear some of those uh, plastic gloves or what have you 